Amen. You guys can grab a seat. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Luke chapter 2. If you don't own one, there should be a white one somewhere on your table. Please take one. Uh, If you know someone that needs a Bible, please take one and give it to them. Um, We want people to have the scripture with them. Everyone have fun at Gold Rush? Did you guys go and enjoy it? Raise your hand if you did not go to Gold Rush. Yeah, neither did we. There's only so many times you can go and look at the same overpriced items constantly, and so we didn't go. Um, But here's what we're doing. Tonight, we've got a ton to get into, so I'm going to skip over the, ha ha, let's laugh and get to know you, all that kind of stuff. We're just going to get into scripture. Um, Because last week, we talked about Luke um, chapter 1, and we kind of mimicked the uh, Trump campaign, right? And they are the deplorables and whatever. So we looked at Elizabeth, and we looked at Mary, and we looked at Zechariah. And all three of those were seemingly unusable, right? Um, Unusable in the way that Elizabeth was barren, and she was old, um, but God still said, no, you're going to give birth. Um, So she was physically unusable, but God used her for his glory. And then we looked at Mary, who was culturally unusable. I'm sorry, can you turn me down a little bit? (laughs) Uh, it was culturally unusable. And so uh, literally, I mean, she was a teenager. She was unwed. She was single, not married. That was punishable by death. That's not like teen moms that we watch on TV and ho ho. Like that was a serious deal. So culturally, she was unusable, but God still used her. And then we looked at Zachariah, who was like the priest. He was supposed to be the guy that had so much faith and uh, he doubted God. I mean, literally an angel came before him and said, you're going to have a son. And he said, no, I don't think so. That's not going to happen. So God punished him, right? I mean, he took his voice away, made him mute until John was born. But still, all this, they were the unusables that God used. If you could pick out who would a, if you're a good author, who would you make um, to be the heroes in this story? You wouldn't have picked any of those. You would have made a better story. You would have picked the people that deserved to be picked. So last week, we looked from the very beginning. God used the unusables for his glory. And we even looked back in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses killed a man with his bare hands. Anybody done that before? No, okay. Uh, if someone would have raised your hand, I would have like, uh, we would have changed face really fast. Um, <laughs> Call to confession and repentance. Um, no, so that is not true. I mean, you look at all these, Noah was a drunk. Um, David uh, had an affair and then had that dude's husband killed. Like that, There's just so much that went on in the Old Testament that God tr- clearly uses the unusable. So if you feel like you're unusable, you're in the right place. Like this is the beauty of the gospel. If you feel like God can't use you, welcome. We are the unusables. And so tonight we're going to keep going. Um, as we try to preach through the book of Luke in two years, there's uh, sometimes we're going to have to skip. Sometimes we're going to like exegete just a little small like word or sentence. And then sometimes we're going to take bigger stories. And sometimes we're going to do character studies and look at a single person. And so tonight that's what we're going to do is we're going to look at a person. Um, now I'm going to sound a little bit like a heretic. Does anyone know what that means? That I do not believe the Bible is true. Uh, Because we're actually going to skip over, wait for it, pause for effect, the birth of Jesus. We're going to skip over that part. How awful is that? Right? I mean, we're at Luke 2, which is like the birth of Jesus, but we're going to skip over that. The reason being, Advent's coming up in a couple months. We'll dive in a lot there, but we're going to actually skip over. um, And we're going to talk mainly about a guy named Simeon. So Luke 2, 22 is where we're going to start. 
Um, and I'll just be honest, uh, I've had a bromance with Simeon over the past couple weeks. I am like just so impressed with this dude. Every time I read about him, every time I think about him, uh, this guy has just blown my mind. And if you read, and we'll talk more about Simeon, there's nothing really impressive about Simeon. Uh, Simeon was a very old dude. He was getting ready to die. Um, he wasn't from any kind of special family or genealogy. He was just a dude that the Lord used. He went to the temple and prayed and was just an old guy. There's nothing special. Anybody else just feel really ordinary and not special? Okay, two people. Sweet. I am in <laughs> with royalty right now. Good to, good to be here. So that's kind of where we were. We just have this normal guy, Simeon, but he had one characteristic in him that I think we all secretly long for. Um, who's the baby here? It's like, as far as your family goes, who's the baby? Okay, who's the oldest? And who's the middle, if you're a middle? Oh, that explains a lot. So, um, I'm the baby, and, and with babies, there comes kind of two different results. Um, you either have the... Um, ride up your mama's tail the whole day, can't do anything for herself or himself. Like you're just the baby. You've been babied. You've been petted. The older siblings were forced to pet you. You literally can do nothing by yourself. If you're that baby, just all repentance. Let me see it. Who's that baby? You cannot do anything for yourself. <laughs> I am glad Bree raised her hand. That is Bree to a T. So my wife and I, we're both babies. And then you have the other baby who um, for whatever reason, just does whatever he wants to, is a little too confident in himself, and just isn't afraid to try anything, probably because the older siblings always said, hey, you should go do that. Hey, you should go do that. You won't fail. Hey, you should go do that. Uh, the babies, who is that? Okay, so that I, part of this, I think I have two older brothers, um, and then my mom came from two brothers and no sisters, so we just don't really like have any girly feminine genes in our house. Growing up, we were just boys that did boy things. And so I was to that extent. But uh, I think like junior, senior year, high school, even some in middle school, um, it really started to turn into like a level of arrogance, right? So there's a huge difference between confidence and arrogance. Anyone track it with me? Um, here's where I knew I messed this up. When people would ask me or accuse me, mainly my wife, because we were high school sweethearts, um, you're just being, you're too confident, or you're arrogant. I'd say arrogance or confidence? Which one is it? If you have to ask, it's arrogance, okay? Just throw that out there. If you have to pose that as a question, you are just arrogant and you need to shut your mouth. Um, but I went that way. I went total arrogant through high school. I was just really good looking. What do you do? Just be arrogant. Um, how serious? Uh, really, like, drumming, just, I don't know. There's just a few things in my life that I thought, like, I killed, and I was overly arrogant in those areas. Fast forward till today, where I don't feel like I'm good at anything, Right? A lot of my confidence is wavering. I'm doing a lot of things I've never done before. I'm a, I'm a husband. We, um, tomorrow, we'll celebrate seven years, right? Uh, I've never been married before, let alone for seven years. So um, I'm not confident in my skills as a husband. We're about to have our fourth kid, maybe tonight. Who knows? How are those contractions? Did they go away? Okay. Uh, so we were having some contractions earlier. No big deal. So... Whatever, about to have four kids. I've never had four kids before. Um, never planted or pastored a church before. So literally every area in my life, I'm, I, I can shower well. I'm very confident in my ability to take a shower. I take like two or three a day. That is like my sweet spot. What are you confident in, Gabe? Showering. I can kill it. Just get me in the shower. I know what to do. Got a loofah. Don't be judging. I got a loofah, shampoo. I know where everything goes. I'm just 
not that confident anymore. And it's something that as I talk to a lot of you guys, a lot of us are wavering in our confidence, if I can just be honest. A lot of you guys are in the same season. And maybe you're new into school, changing to majors, you're really struggling in school, that's never happened before, you're living on your own, or even into you're starting to wonder, like, am I in the right career, have I chosen the right path, or you're starting to near retirement, and you're going, like, is this what I'm supposed to do? I'm just not confident, I've never walked in this season of life before. And I think the main reason I fell in love with Simeon is this dude is confident. I mean, he walks in just pure and utter confidence, hands down. Not even anywhere close to arrogance. There's nothing in Simeon that would make you ever think of arrogance. It's 100% confidence. And it's not in him, it's in the Lord. And that's, the, that's where we want to hit at tonight, is this idea of confidence. Because we all have confidence in something. Um, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Does anyone have that memorized? It's kind of a famous, you got it Kyle? Go for it. Yep, yep. So now I'm going to read it. It's a different translation, but I like it. Um, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the, convic- or the conviction of things not seen. So faith is another word for confidence. We are confident in things that we hope for and the convictions of things unseen. So are we confident in our faith? Are we confident in who Jesus says he is and what he says he's going to do? Um, Because if you are, confidence changes everything about you. If you're truly confident in what you, I'll just do this. I've got something in my pocket that's going to help us learn. Paul, too tall Paul, you sat in the right spot today. Tell me what this is. How much do you think this is? Here you go. You know now? 500 bucks for you. That change anything? Is your mind already wondering what you're going to spend it on? Yeah? What do you think? What's the first thing you would buy? <laughs> what a college answer. Food. So you, it's not just a mental thing. You're not just seeing $500 sitting on your Bible, but it's already starting to translate into action, right? So I'm going to take this back. Confidence, right? Confidence, if we're confident in the gospel, it's no longer an intellectual thing. It automatically transfers into how does this affect me today? What am I going to do different today? If faith is true in our lives, it really starts to permeate and change everything we do. We cannot allow faith just to be an intellectual strategy unless it's transpiring into every area of our life. Does that make sense? So what I've been praying for this week um, is for us just to be truly confident in the gospel. I think if we follow the example of Simeon, we'll be able to see very quickly whether we are or not. Here's the easy example. One of the scriptures we sing, we talk about, we boast in. You'll like take a picture and put it on Instagram and like put a cool frame on it. Here's what it says. Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? Some of you are probably finishing that in your head. If God is for us, who can be against us? What would it look like in your life if you were fully confident that was true? What decision would you do differently if you were a fool that that was true? If you had full confidence, if God is for me, who can be against me? What would that change in our life? Probably a lot, right? We'd probably start, I mean, in your head, you'd probably think, well, if, if God was really for me, then I might take this risk, or I'd quit worrying about this, or I'd quit stressing about this because I know God is for me. I'm just not fully confident in that fact. So let's pick up at Luke chapter 2, verse 22, 
We're just going to read through the story and then talk about a little bit of Simeon's confidence in the different areas he's confident. Now, I know we're skipping over the birth of Christ and the angels and the shepherds. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Verse 22. And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, which is Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and he was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the Spirit, into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed him, or blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Verse 35. And a sword will pierce through your own soul so that thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Verse 36, it gets crazier. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, at the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years, and when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and praying night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God, to speak of him to all who were wanting, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So before we get into this, let me say a quick prayer. Uh, Jesus, we are uh, honored that we can sit and study your scriptures tonight. Uh, Father, would you read us? Um, God, through this text, would you give us the confidence that we need to be bold with the gospel? Um, God, would we follow the example of Simeon who followed the example of you, and have faith that no one can compromise. So Jesus, we love you. We're grateful for you. God, let us be like Simeon, who was like you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now we have to remember, before we start diving into a lot of this, who was Luke written to primarily? If you've been here for a couple weeks, you should answer this. What? If you're whispering, I have no idea what you're saying. His ears are big, but they can't pick that up. What? Theopolis, right? So he was writing to my boy Theo, who was doubting whether this thing could actually be true. Uh, verse, I think, 3 or 4 in chapter 1 says that he was writing to Theo so he would have um, complete and utter assurance of what actually happened. So Luke was not the eyewitness to a lot of this. He in, uh, investigated all this sort of stuff to write to Theopolis and to write to us that you can be sure that this man Jesus really is king. And so a lot of the details that Luke writes in here um, is just assurance of the truth. And so one of the big things is why Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the, to the um, temple that day. 
So there's a lot of ceremonial things that had to go on. The circumcision on the eighth day, on the eighth day, and then they had to dedicate him on the 40th day. And Mary was, this was her firstborn. So there's a lot of ceremonial things that were happening that you can cross-reference back to Leviticus to see what was really happening. It's just crazy. So we know that Mary and Joseph were poor because they offered two pigeons, not a lamb. Um, so there's a lot of historical truth in here that we just don't have time to get into tonight. Uh, but what we want to get into, like I mentioned earlier, is Simeon and this confidence. Because there's three parts to this. Um, Simeon sees Jesus in this temple. So Simeon just comes to the temple every day. He praises. He worships. Scripturally, he's old. Um, so, I mean, you can just picture him in a walker coming in, just doing his deal at the temple and then leaving. Um, waiting. Scripture says he's literally waiting to die. He's waiting to die. Uh, so there's the first part. Simeon sees Jesus in the temple. The second part is the song of praise, um, Latin Nick Dimitis, whatever that means. Uh, I know what that means, but I just don't want to, whatever. Um, so here's kind of when you look at the, his praise, when you look at Mary's and Zachariah's in the first chapter, there's three themes that go through these praises. There's the promise, the fulfillment, and the praise. So there's the promise, they're remembering the promise of the Old Testament. Um, they're talking about the fulfillment of how Jesus has chosen to fulfill this. And then they stop and just pray. And I think this is a true uh, recommendation for how we live in confidence. We have to remember the promise. We have to see how Jesus has fulfilled it. And then the natural response out of that is the praise. And then the last part is the prophecy that he specifically talks to Mary and says, this is what's going to happen. He brings out the, the idea of the sword, which we'll get to. The sword was not like a little dagger. Um, it's the same kind of Hebrew language for the sword that Goliath carried. So it's a massive sword. So Jesus is going to cause Mary massive pain as a huge sword going through her heart. But let's talk about Simeon. And we're going to look at, this is really Southern Baptist. Uh, we're going to look at five things today. They don't rhyme. Don't worry, I'm not that Baptist. Uh, but we're going to look at five different areas of Simeon's confidence. And what I want us to do through this is just think about ourselves. When I talk about the characteristics of Simeon and when I read the scriptures that go along with it, we talk about, just think, is that me? Is that us? Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So here's a couple things we have to do here. Um, we recognize that the Holy Spirit at this time would come, come along the believers and would come away. Um, they were waiting for Jesus, and then when Jesus left, Jesus said, I'm going to send the helper, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer, you will always have me with you. It's greater for me to leave and me send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. So when we read that the Holy Spirit was upon him, um, there's only one person in history that the Holy Spirit was on from birth, and we talked about that last week of John the Baptist. Um, so this, the Holy Spirit came on and would leave, it come on and would leave. And so when we first talk about the Holy Spirit was upon him, um, we have to go back and, and talk about what he was looking at, which is the consolation of Israel. So he was waiting for the redemption. They were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for the Savior. And you have to think, uh, it's been 400 years since the last prophet has spoke. So 400 years of silence, 400 years of nothingness. Messiah's coming, the one that's coming, he's going to save the world, he's going to redeem the people of Israel, he's going to redeem the world, we can't wait for this, nothing, 400 years, 400 years. So uh, flip over to Isaiah real fast, we're going to read just a couple of the prophecies that they were waiting for Jesus to fulfill. 
So when we look at Simeon, he had not lost hope. Many of the Jews had. Many of the people in that day had totally lost hope. But Isaiah 40 is where we'll start off. Isaiah 40, then 49, then 52. Let's kind of hit these real quick. But we have to understand uh, what Simeon was doing, the significance of it. 40 is picking up in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Comfort, comfort. So they're waiting for the Messiah to come to bring comfort, to bring peace, to bring um, this back to their land, that they're waiting for the Messiah to save them. Skip over to verse four, or chapter 49. 49 verse 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has consoled his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. So you have to notice the word that um, Simeon uses, this consolation of Israel. And what he's talking about, he's quoting this, that the Lord has heard and he is consoled. The last one is 52.9. And as you have time tonight, I would encourage you just to sit down and read Isaiah 53 as a whole. Um, That chapter just talks about the pain and the wrath that Jesus would have to go through for our sins. 52.9, break forth together into singing. You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has consoled his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. So the Holy Spirit has come, he has come upon Simeon, and he has faith to these promises. It has been over 400 years, Isaiah roughly 1,000 years since these words have been uttered. And because of Simeon's confidence in the promises, he did not waver. He was still waiting for God to show up. He was still waiting for Jesus to send his son. Um, who in here waits very well? Anybody? Nobody waits very well? I mean, I'm, I am probably the world's worst at this. Even fast food at times is not fast enough for me. I've been known to order, and then if the line is too long, I will pull out of line and just leave. I'm probably one of the most or least patient people you, you have met. Amen, Bree? Okay, I just do not wait well. Give me like 30 seconds, and I'm, I'm done. I'm just over it. So our boy Simeon, though, had so much confidence in the promises uttered in Isaiah that he was waiting He was waiting. He was waiting for those promises. And biblically, we see that we don't wait very well either. Uh, Think about Peter, right? Um, Peter was Jesus' right-hand man. I'm going to never confess or never deny you. And Jesus says, no, no, listen, uh, give me a little bit, maybe a couple hours, and you're going to die me three times. Before the rooster crows, you're going to die me three times. Oh, no, I'll never do that, Jesus. Like, I'm going to cut a dude's ear off. I'm proved to you I won't. What did he do? He forgot, right? I thought Holy Spirit was about to come in, man. Smoke is coming. Um, So did not wait. Or even think about the guys to Emmaus. So Jesus walks next to a couple dudes walking to Emmaus, a seven-mile walk. Seven miles. He talks to them. Yeah, are you the only Jew in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's happening, that they've just taken our Messiah and crucified him? They're walking next to Jesus this whole time. And at the end, Jesus goes, hey, man, don't you remember I told you this was going to happen? 
Like, don't you remember? You're telling me, oh, how can you forget? Don't you remember that I just told you a couple days ago this was going to take place? Oh, I remember. Jesus disappears, right? So as a human, we have to realize that we forget. My confidence, I mean, going back to confidence, Simeon's confidence was never in him, but our confidence is always in us. We come to a gathering, we go to Bible studies, we go to missional communities, we sing worship that everything is about the king, everything is about Jesus, like Jesus does everything for us, and we will walk out of this room and then try to do everything for ourselves. Our confidence doesn't really lie in Jesus, it lies in us. So we sing and we worship and we pretend for 30 minutes that it doesn't, but as soon as we get out of here, we try to control our time, our money, our energy, because we're putting more confidence in ourselves than in King Jesus. And Simeon's going, no, 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 this is nothing about me. They told me, scriptures told me Jesus was coming, and I believe in that. My confidence is in that. How about number two, his ability to recognize Jesus and what he would be. We'll pick it up in verse 30. So he had confidence because he was able to recognize Jesus and what he would become. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples for a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, O Israel. Verse 33, And his father and his mother marveled at what he had said. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed." So there's so much happening in here. Uh, but the big thing that we have to do is that because of his confidence, because of him looking and waiting for the Messiah, he was able to see him the moment he walked in. I was talking to uh, a guy the other day, and he made an interesting point. Uh, when you really believe something, you see it everywhere, right? Um, so like right now, if you're thinking about a new car, I would really love to buy, uh, just for me, I would really love a red Chevy Silverado quad cab, uh, preferably 2017, no big deal, whatever, get some 4x4 Z71 going, some, uh, I mean, it is pastor appreciation month, if someone wants to make that happen, we can, it's cool, you can get a tax deduction, it's fine. So, if I really start thinking about that, what am I going to see literally everywhere on the road? A red Silverado. Everywhere I go, I'm going to see a red quad cab Silverado. Maybe that's not your thing, maybe you like fast cars, what, I, don't, I don't know what you like, but the moment you start focusing on something, you see it everywhere. And because Simeon's confidence was in the Messiah coming, he was looking for it everywhere. One of the biggest things that bothers me about this text um, it was there was the guys that were, that were doing the circumcision. There were the priests that were monitoring all the sacrifices that were taking place, and no one else saw it. No one else noticed it. They thought, here's just another circumcision. Here's another sacrifice. They didn't realize who they were holding was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They didn't get it. But because of Simeon's confidence in the Lord, he was able to recognize Jesus for who he is. He talks about he's a light for the Gentiles, those who are currently walking in darkness. Uh, he talks about he's glory for Israel. Verse 34 is kind of a haunting one. Uh, verse 34, And Simeon blessed him and said to his Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. One part in the scriptures, Jesus didn't, came, or Jesus didn't come for peace, but with a sword. He was going to split. So the rise of many of Israel, talking salvation unto heaven, and the fall of many, talking about sending into hell. 
that because of Jesus' presence on earth, they were going to make them choose the rise or fall. Either way, it's going to have to happen. You have to do something. And even today, it's not just in Jesus' time. Even today, you have to do something with Jesus. You can't just say, I mean, even the most hard-hearted atheist, you cannot deny that Jesus walked on the face of the earth. You can't. You have to make some kind of choice. You have to do something with this guy, Jesus, because there's so much, not just biblical, even if you take the Bible out, there's so much historical evidence to prove that Jesus and his followers, even you fast forward till today, there's so much going on. You have to do something with his presence. You have to do something with him walking on the earth. I mean, even if you want to pick up the Quran, the Quran talks about Jesus. You have to do something with this guy. And so for this, the big point um, is that Simeon was just so confident in who Jesus is, who the Messiah is, that he was able to recognize him like that. The, because of the Spirit, the same Spirit that lives in us, he was able to recognize Jesus quickly. Let's keep going. Verse 26. And I think this is one that just for me, my confidence is crazy lacking in this. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came to the, into the Spirit, into the temple, where the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. And he took him into his arms. So here's a guy that has heard from the Spirit and had full confidence that this is true. He heard from the Spirit and had full confidence that this was true, that he was going to continue to go to the temple day after day after day after day. He had full confidence that he heard from the Spirit. Now, I, I just, it was just funny as I'm thinking about this this morning. Uh, my brother, they just had their first, he's, she's two months old, three months old. Um, so we went down to Mountain Lake in North or South and they did a baby dedication and I'm thinking about the store, and they just done the dedication, and my kids were just crazy, so we actually couldn't make it. They, we couldn't drop them off in the nursery because they were, like, breaking things and crying, and uh, more crying, not, like, really the breaking things. So we w went into the service for them to see the dedication that came back out. And this guy came walking in. I mean, you guys, it wasn't that cold this morning, right? Came in with a big jacket, a scarf wrapped around a hat, and carrying a big bag. Now, naturally, I'm just kind of, like, eyeballing this dude, like, what's happening? Uh, Mountain Lake's got security, and they've got the guys with the earbuds like, oh, what's happening? But this dude just raised awareness to me. Like, this is a weird-looking guy. Um, if that was your grandpa or something, I apologize. Just in the moment, it looked really weird. So he's walking by. So I'm thinking Simeon walked up to Mary and Joseph, who they knew that their son was the king, walked up and grabbed this kid, right? So I'm watching going, what would happen if this guy literally walked up to my sister-in-law right here and took baby Avery from her? I mean, I'm talking earrings are getting pulled out, rings are getting taken off. Like, Mama Bear is about to fight. Nobody's going to let just some old dude walk straight up, even if it's in church, even if it's in the temple. No one's going to let some old dude just walk up and grab your kid. You're about to see, like, a knockout drag out right here. I'm just saying, if someone tries to grab, I'm swinging to knock out. I'm just confession. Here it is. I'm going to swing, and my only job is to knock this person out as quick as possible and get my kid. I will ask questions later. So you have to, I mean, this is not just, we have to put ourselves in the story of what's really happening. Oh, yeah, Simeon came up and grabbed this baby. No, here's a creepy old dude that just walked up and grabbed this baby. So we hear the Spirit. I mean, this is, if you grew up in like traditional Southern Baptist, maybe this is going to rock your world a little bit. The same Spirit that lived in Jesus now lives in us. 
He talks to us. He's our counselor. If you ask, you can hear. Like, well, our part of our missional community, one of the things that we're going to start doing is just the listening prayer. What would happen if we quit talking all the time during prayer and, like, let the Spirit talk to us and then did what the Spirit asked us to do, right? We can hear from the Spirit. So Simeon, so confident in what God had told him that he walked straight to Jesus and picked up this baby. That takes some real confidence, right? Because if you're wrong, you might get your throat slit right there on the spot. I mean, if you're, if you're going to take someone's baby, you might be starting a brawl right there in the temple, but he was so confident in what the Lord has asked him to do that he went up and did it. Now, let me just ask the question, how many of us have really heard or thought we heard from the Spirit and did what we were told to do? I mean, I, I just in general, I've heard often, just even nudge, and I don't want to sound like some crazy guy, but just a nudge in my heart, a nudge in my mind, hey, you should go do this. I remember one time I was at a camp, we were at Beach Week when I was a youth pastor, um, and there was a leader from another church that I had no interactions with, and the whole time during the service, the entire time, you need to go talk to that guy. You need to go tell that guy to repent. You need to go talk to that guy. You need to go tell that guy to repent. I'm like, I don't know him, and I'm going to call him on sin that I don't even know what it is? All right, Jesus, let's do it. So we, I walked up to him and said, hey, man, um, I, I just need to call you to repentance. I don't know what's happening. I just feel like the, the Lord has asked me to call you to repent. Um, dude immediately broke down, confessed sin after sin after sin. It was one of the most crazy things I've ever seen. Or another one, when I would travel and do camps, um, we were, I just felt like the Lord had pressed something on me the whole day. Something big's going to happen. Something big's going to happen. And so we're worshiping, and there's just one dude. I'm in the back. I'm in the soundboard. There's just one guy. He's an adult leader that I see the entire time. Every time I look, my eyes just keep coming back to him, keep coming back to him. And so we get done, and there's a couple really cool God stories that were coming out of the night, and we're like, oh, cool, man. Like, God actually showed up. And so we did, like, tuck-ins, whatever. We would go and pray with the group. So we went and prayed with all the groups, and I was walking out, and this guy was standing there. I said, hey, man, I just need you to know um, I couldn't quit staring at you. And that sounds really weird. Um, specifically, I couldn't stop staring at your back. Um, your backside, it was just there. I, I just had, like, I don't know, is everything okay? The Lord would not let me quit looking at you. Is everything okay? So he immediately looks to the pastor of the church and said, did you tell him? And the guy was like, no. These are guys out in, uh, somewhere in California. Like, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't say a word. Um, that guy just found out that day that he was diagnosed with cancer. And so immediately we were like, okay, this, let's get, so we got all the youth groups that were staying in this place together. We prayed over him. We asked for a miracle that God would cure him from cancer. This was 2014. Dude's been walking free from cancer for the rest. Went back to the next appointment. Cancer's not there. Or the other one, and this is not as cool as that one, but just the similar experience. Um, I was walking with a dude just a couple months ago, just gotten into a new relationship about two months in, and uh, I was praying in the bathroom, and I just said, I felt like the Lord was saying, you need to tell him to embrace his singleness. Like, okay, I can do that. Embrace your singleness. Uh, wait, Jesus, he's got a girlfriend. Like, what, what do you want me to do now? So I sat on it for about two weeks. Like, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. Like, this is just weird. I don't really know if that was from God, so I'm not going to say a word. Um, then he broke up with his girlfriend. I was like, oh my gosh, man, like, God told me to tell you to embrace your singleness. Like, you're supposed to be single for a season. Like, this is a cool thing. What would have happened if I would have actually said it when God told me to? It would have been more glory of God coming out of that story than me waiting and waiting and waiting. So for Simeon to walk up to this baby and said, okay, like, give it to me. This is the one I've been waiting for. 
this is it because the Spirit has revealed it to me. He had so much confidence in hearing God's voice and doing what he said. I love that. I love that. And the other part that we have to notice, verse 26, is that the, he said, um, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So here's a guy literally waiting to die. Waiting to, I mean, there's, a, there's not like exact proof. There's a bunch of theological arguments. Some say like he was around 115. Some say he was in his 80s. Whatever, bro was old, okay? He's waiting to die, but he's not gonna die until he sees the Lord coming. And the moment he sees him, he gets in, he picks him up and says, this is the Messiah. This is the Lord's Christ. How crazy is this? And look at verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Spirit, you are not going to let me die until I see the Lord's Christ. Now I have met him. Kill me. I mean, this, this expression that you are now letting your servant depart in peace um, is like literally being released from a long task, like a soldier being released from his, guard, from his post. That I've done my job, I've done my duty, I've been standing on post, on cue for years. I've seen the king kill me. I'm done. Now, this is, uh, if I can just be honest, this is the point I didn't want to talk about and I don't want to think about. And there's just, I'm kind of glad Bree's not in here because this is just a weird subject, honestly. The idea of death. How much does our confidence in Christ change the way we view death? How much, I mean, for Simeon, now that he's seen the king, I'm not going to die till I see the Lord's Christ. Now that I've seen him, kill me. Get me out of here. I'm done. Get me home. Because my confidence was never in this world, never in my possessions, never in anything here. I've done what the Lord's asked me to do. I've stood my ground. I've stood my post. Get me home. Get me home. One of the parts about growing up is like starting to take care of things like this. What would happen if? Um, my dad has been yelling at me for years to get a will and get life insurance. So I finally met with a guy. And, and the whole idea of life insurance is centered around what? Death. So luckily I know the guy that's selling or trying to sell me life insurance. I don't know if we're going to go with him. But over and over and over again, death just keeps coming up. I mean, even like with my policy, I have a life insurance policy with my kids. So even the death of my kids was coming up. And I'll never forget, do you ever listen to those sermon jams on YouTube? I mean, some of them are just crazy heretical, but some of them are really good. And one of my favorite pastors is a guy named Matt Chandler. And he was talking about in a sermon that um, if, if it was his time to go, then he's ready to go. He's saying in full confidence, well, what about your wife? What about your kids? My job on earth is God's glory. And so if God's going to get more glory for me to leave, then my wife and kids will be okay. I'm so confident in Jesus. And when he calls me home, because no one dies early, when he calls me home, he did it on a purpose, and he's not going to leave my wife, and he's not going to leave my kids ever. That there's a bigger thing happening than that. And if I could just be honest, confess my sin, I'm not that confident in the Lord. I want to walk my girls down the aisle. I don't want to pay for it. <laughs> Just being, being honest, we got, we're going to have three. Uh, I want to. 
I want to have grandkids, right? I want to see the branch plant tons of churches. I want to see God do what only he can do. And what that reveals in my heart is an idol. It's a lack of confidence in the gospel. It's a lack of confidence in who God is is and what he says he's going to do. Again, because I think I can control it. If God chooses to call me home, is he really going to leave my wife and my kids high and dry? Of course not. Life insurance or no life insurance? That, like, that's all secondary. Do we believe that God loves us and is for us? Yeah, we can argue what's wise or unwise. Don't get me wrong. Do we believe that God loves us and he's for us? Do we believe that we're here for a purpose? That what we're doing here is not about us. That why we're living has nothing to do with us and our satisfaction and what we can control. What we're doing here is for God and his glory. And when he makes the decision to call us home, it's not early. So for Simeon to bring out this idea of death, it just blows my mind. I'm so confident in God that just bring me home. I mean, if I could just be honest, and maybe I'm assuming too much, I don't think anybody in this room is probably at that point. Maybe one or two of us. That we are so fully confident in who God says he is and what he's, he's going to do what he says he's going to do, that if my job here is over, if my job literally was to grow this church to this point, God, kill me, I'm good. I'm done. Take me home. No, I'm, I'm not there. And I want to be. I want to love God more than I love my family. I mean, there's a verse I didn't talk about earlier. Um, when, he, when Mary talks about the sword, when Simeon prophesies over Mary, uh, what he's talking about is Luke 14, 26. That if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That we have to love the King of kings and the Lord of lords more than anything else, even more than our own lives. And we can only do that by such confidence of who God says he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Charles Spurgeon says this, Never fear dying, beloved. Dying is the last but the least matter that a Christian has to be anxious about. Fear living. That is a hard battle to fight a stern discipline to endure, a rough voyage to undergo. So we as Christians fear death so much, but if we have confidence in Christ, that's what we should be expecting. That's what we should be looking for. What we should be anxious about is now, when there's sin everywhere. But Simeon was just confident, bro. He didn't care. And the last one, verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory for your people, Israel. Simeon is so excited and so confident with this idea of salvation, that the Messiah is here to save not only myself, but to save the world. That because of what Jesus is going to do, because he's going to live because he's going to die on the cross, because he's going to defeat death, um, we all have a second life. We all get to go to glory. We all get to walk with Jesus. Eternity starts now because of Messiah. We can honestly walk with Jesus 
today. That salvation is here. There, there was no other way for us to earn our way into heaven, but because of Jesus, because he has come, because salvation has come to the world. I'm jacked for myself, Simeon says, and I'm also excited for the world, that he's going to be glory to Israel and he's going to be a light to the Gentiles. He's going to be salvation to the world. But I get more excited about money than salvation. He is so confident in salvation. He is so excited about salvation for himself in the world. It makes me think of Philippians 2.12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do we really know what that means? Do we really know, again, like my idea with Paul, are we so confident, or do we have more confidence in cash and what we can see and less confidence in the salvation that God has actually saved us? Where does our confidence lie? One of the reasons Simeon longed to see Jesus, because salvation came through Jesus. And one of the reasons Simeon had so much confidence in death is because now that Jesus is here, he knows salvation is for him and it's for the world. Do we know, church, salvation is for us? Are we still trying to control it? Can I just tell you one of the most haunting things I've ever experienced as a pastor? And for some, this might sound melodramatic, but like this was a real moment for me. Um, a couple years ago, I was at, um, where's Jay? What year was that? It's in Nashville. Was that 2014? 15? 16? 14, okay. It's 2016 now. So I was at, it's a pastor's conference, right? So it's for pastors and pastor's wives and church staff and leadership and all this kind of stuff. So I, we're in this arena in Nashville and everyone's singing and praising and like there's some big band and big preachers and all this stuff was happening, lights and lasers, and I was just confused. So we're sitting up there and we're singing and I just took a moment to literally like, it's arena, so just look around the room. I had this gut-wrenching thought. How many of these pastors and leaders in this room are really saved? How many of them have just been playing the game, playing the system, reading their Bible, going to church, ex doing what they're expected to do, and their confidence is in them for salvation, not in King Jesus? That if Jesus would have never shown up, nothing would have changed the way they live. I can control this. I can do this. I need to read my Bible more. I know I need to get into a mission of community. I know I need to get in a DNA group. I know I need to like, confess sin, which sounds really weird, but I just, I, I, the branch told me I need to do that, so I need to do that. Here's all these things that I need to do that I can control, that I know I can earn my salvation. And we do it over and over and over again. We come to Sunday services like this. Some of you even go for two. You go Sunday morning here, here Sunday night. Like You're going to get a special spot in heaven. But do we really know the salvation that Simeon was so confident in? Are we really secure in our salvation in the way that Simeon was? That we can honestly say, Jesus, take me home. If my, if, my, if my work here is done, literally take me home. I'm so confident in my salvation. I just am. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. So I just have to ask, are you that confident? And here's what I'm not trying to do. I'm not trying to make you like doubt and like 
Um, <laughs> like, you know, I don't know, maybe it's not funny, but like some of the old preachers and the televangelists, and like if you're 99% sure, you're going to hell, right? You need to be 100% sure. You need to get up here right now because I want to make my numbers look bigger. So like if you have any single doubt, you need to come say the prayer right now. No, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. But in my knowledge of the church and the branch in the past two years we've existed, um, we have tons of people sharing the gospel as we go in missional communities and leading people to Christ. I don't know if we've ever done it here. And the same thing that happened in Nashville often happens with me in this room. How many people were playing the game? Who's actually confident in their salvation? Who actually is walking in a salvation that's based on what Jesus has done for them, not what they can do for themselves? Who actually gets it? Who understands it? And so for those that are confident that they know that they have salvation, that they know that Jesus has given them their righteousness, that there's nothing I can do or say that would lose salvation for me, I'm going to keep walking, keep pursuing. Jesus loves me. I know this. Jesus died for me. I know this. There's just areas in my life that I'm not totally confident in. I get you. I've confessed mine. And so when we stop in a minute and we go take communion, let that be a time of confession for you. Jesus, I'm not confident in this. Would you take this away? As I'm taking your body and breaking it, as I'm dipping it into your blood, or for the new, we have gone gluten-free. So you can now take, if you've been gluten intolerant, we have a gluten-free option for you. When we take that, that was probably a really bad time to say that, but <laughs> I, just, I didn't want to forget it, and so I had to say it. So when we take communion tonight, that is a time for us to stop and confess, I'm not fully confident in Jesus in this area. I'm not fully confident in Jesus. You're going to take care of my family if you were to call me home. I'm not fully confident in Jesus that you really are going to take care of me like the way you say. I mean, I've confessed this to you guys over and over again. Matthew 6, 25 through 34 is the hardest passage for me to understand. That if Jesus takes care of the birds in the air and the flowers of the field, how much more is he going to take care of me? I constantly don't believe that. I constantly doubt that. I constantly worry about that. I constantly fear that God is going to forget about me. Therefore, I need to work harder. I need to try harder so that he doesn't. And if he does, I'm okay. I've taken care of myself. It's called self-protection. It is an idol. It is a sin. So when I take communion tonight, I'm going to confess that tonight. God, would you take this self-protection? Would you really let me be so confident in you that there's nothing else? There's nothing else. When you think about it, there's a movie that came out a couple years ago about the guys that do tightrope walking, right? Who's confident in their ability? The guy that walks it with no safety chain or the guy that walks with a safety chain? Who's more confident? No safety chain, right? So why am I going to walk after Jesus and say I'm pursuing Jesus but still trying to take care of the underlying details on my own? Is that confidence or is it not? So for some of us, man, that's the time of communion tonight is just going to be that. But here's what I'm afraid of and here's what I know. That there's some of you that your confidence is more in yourself and salvation has not come in your heart. Here's what I'm saying. Let's talk. We're not going to do that. Every, everybody bow your head and raise your hand. Oh, I see you, brother. We're not going to do that stuff. We're more of a family than that. We don't have to be secret about it. We confess in publicly. We talk real talk here at the branch. So you don't have to do this in secrecy, but I'm telling you, if you're not sure, 
let's talk. Please, let's talk. Let us be confident, as confident as Simeon was. Let us be that confident in who God says he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do in our hearts. So let's pray. Jesus, would you allow us to trust you with everything that we have? God, would you allow us to be so confident in you and your salvation for us that everything in our life looks different? God, when we look at how Simeon acted, when we look how Anna acted, God, they looked different than the world. And when we look how you lived your life, you looked totally different. And when we look at your, how your disciples lived through Acts and how we watch Paul transform the new world, Father, they look different. And not because they were trying to look different, because they were so utterly confident in you. And God, we want that. And Jesus, we want your confidence. Father, we want true, authentic faith. Jesus, we want faith, the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. We don't want a safety chain anymore. God, we want to be so confident in you that we walk a life of obedience. Not because we earn anything, God, because we trust you. We believe what your word says. God, we believe that no matter what, you are for your glory, and the best thing for us is your glory. So when things look differently than we had anticipated, God, you love us. When we face disappointment, God, you love us and we can be confident in that when we're struggling with different things God you're for us you are for us we have your word we know what you've done to purchase atonement for us that you're for us why would you die just to leave us why would you defeat death just to defeat us? Now that's not how this works. So Jesus, my prayers for confidence to wave across this church. That we would look so different because we're fully confident in you. So God, even now we're asking your spirit to reveal to us where we lack confidence. We're asking your spirit to reveal to us where we doubt you. God, would you reveal that to us now? That communion tonight would be a different communion for us. That this isn't just going through the motions, that we get to go to the back and we get to break your bread, which is your body, and we get to dip it into the juice, which is your blood. From that simple act, we get to remain confident in what you've done for us, that you are for us and that you love us.
And if you're not confident, and if your heart is beating on the outside of your chest, and if the Spirit's speaking to you now about your salvation, please talk to us tonight. There's no pride in this room. There's no attitude of keeping everything together. Now, we, we want to be a church that it looks like a family, that we can talk about what's really going on. So if that's you, man, I'll, I'll be in the back. You can grab one of our leaders. You can grab anybody. But let's, let's talk. Let's talk about where your confidence is, confidence is in. It's in the King of Kings. It's in the Lord of Lords. It's in Jesus. So God, thank you. Thank you that we don't have to be confident in ourselves and our own abilities and our own workings and we can just confess that we can't do it and we need a savior and that's why you've came for us. So we love you, Jesus. But more importantly, thank you for loving us. It's in your name that we pray. Thank you.